0: Over the last few years now, my wife and I in this particular season of our life have been learning a lot about rowing. You see, our kids have been involved in rowing at school and the, the one downer to do with rowing is that you have to be on the water's edge before the sun comes up and so my wife and I have been kind of kicking and prodding each other in the morning time saying, your turn, no it's your turn, your turn, no, no it is, it's your turn and, uh, and we've been tossing and turning between the two and we've been doing the journeys but over the last probably two years we've actually learnt a fair bit about Rowing two weekends ago, we were at a regatta. It was a regatta is the technical term you use for the rowing thing. It's not just boats, uh, all different kinds of boats. And um, what we were doing is just watching the different races that were taking place. I was on the the, the side of the hill, kind of jogging along with our kids as they're rowing um, to try and keep up and encourage along the way without falling over. And uh, Bron was down near water's edge, and you kind of compare notes. I, I went down to her and I said, you know what? There were one crew, they're like one race, and uh, they was in the fours with the cox. The cox is supposed to be calling out the commands and cheering on and just strategy and all that kind of thing. And I said I noticed that partway during the race there was two crews over the side of the river and they'd stopped. Yeah. Uh, apparently, what happened is as soon as the starter said go, one of the boats just veered out of their lane and just crashed into the other boat, and they kind of just stopped. And Bron says, yeah, you know, they don't know it, but you can hear what they're saying because the water, it echoes. Yeah, all kinds of anger and frustration and, and uh, disappointment boiling over, you could imagine, right? And the, that's not the only thing that happens when in a rowing regatta. Uh, the first thing is crashing potential. The second one, if you're into rowing, you'll, you'll know this word, It's called crabbing. Anyone heard of crabbing before? It's not going and catching the little critters under the rocks, right? It's actually a term they use when someone has got their oar stuck in the water and it kind of acts as an anchor. So I was on the finish line for watching the boys' eights come through, right? And there was this crew that was coming second. They had like 50 meters to go. It was an awesome sight. I mean, they were powering towards the line. And then the stroke, that's the guy who's the most technical in the crew, who's supposed to be setting the tempo and the pace. His oar gets stuck and jammed in the water and it it kind of sticks in there. And the whole boat comes to a crashing stop. Everyone like, like this. And, And the frustration that boils over. And this guy's like shaking his head and the boat literally stops. Just before, and that's crabbing. That's a technical term. If you ever come to a stop, you might say, you just did a crabbing thing. Yeah, Two things, and I'm sitting there on the side and watching some of the boats have got a perfect vision about what they're trying to achieve. They've got a dream about crossing the line in first place. They've got the right motivation. They've set a goal. They've been rowing and practising towards these events, but they fail at the, the last measure because... They can't actually work together in sync. It strikes me, there's two reasons often why businesses, companies, families, every, just can actually fail along the way. They might have the right dream, they might have the right desire, but they fail, if you like, in the design of how the thing is supposed to work. There's two things that come out of those boats that I see. What they spend time doing in the pre-season is training people and trying to get them in the right fit The the stronger rowers are supposed to be in the middle of the boat. They're like the engine room. Uh, And the more technically proficient ones are supposed to be on the outer part, like the stroke. And together, when the cox is talking to the stroke, the stroke is setting the pace, the engine room is grinding. It is an awesome sight to behold. They've got the right fit. And when it's going so well, there's a right attitude that comes out. It emanates across the boat. But when they don't work according to the design if you like, in business terms when the strategy is all messed up. I tell you what, the wrong fit and the wrong attitude can absolutely stop a boat midstream. Some of you right here are in business circles or maybe you're in a company or organisation and you go, you know what, I know that there's a person that is there in the wrong fit, Yeah? If we could just move them to this other particular place, they would do so much better. In fact, where they are right now is actually destroying the whole thing. There's some of you here this morning and you find it hard to get up in the morning time and get to your workplace because frankly, the attitudes are all wrong. You get there and people are watching their back. They're waiting for someone to make a mistake so that can be filed for the next time. Yep. And when there's an opportunity to make it big in front of the boss of the company, you kind of whisper that they failed the last time. And so the attitudes are all wrong. And what strikes me about organisations, businesses, companies that go so well when they've got a dream, a vision, when they've got the right desire, a mission, all worked out, what they need in order to deliver those things is a right strategy or, if you like, a right design So this morning in the time that we have together, what I'd like to do is as we're continuing on our theme of renovation, ask the question that we've been really asking from the very beginning of this year. That is in the first January month, we actually said, would you ask a personal question of yourself if you like personal renovation? Who do you want to become in 2015 and what are you doing about that? What are the values that shape where you're heading? What are you dreaming for? What are you hoping for? Which direction are you heading in? Who do you want to become? And in February we've been asking an extended question, if you like, of the church community, the family here. That is, who does NCR want to become in 2015 and beyond, 2020 and 25 and 30? Where are we actually heading? It's been a conversation we've had in the life of the community over these last number of months. And so the question, if you like, we've been asking these last three weeks has been, God, who do you want us to become in 2015 and beyond? Two weeks ago we looked at, if you like, um, a vision that Jesus had and these are my summary words. It was his dream, if you like, when he walked and paced this earth And it's captured in a book of the Bible called Mark chapter 1 in verse 15. And this is my summary of his announcement, his dream, his vision that captivated his audience. It goes something like this. God, the creator of heaven and earth, is fulfilling his ancient promise to put the world right through his son Jesus. And you, you are welcome to be part of this glorious vision. So do an about-face before it's too late Clean yourself up with God by taking hold of Jesus with all you've got and allow his life to infuse all of yours so others will see that you're not just play-acting but that God's alive in you and his forgiving restorative power is available for all. When Jesus came casting vision, he cast it broad and wide and, and people followed and they asked questions and they pushed into this. And intuitively, some of the questions would have gone along the lines of this. Jesus, what's the paradigm that you're working towards? If you had have asked Jesus that question around this vision and this dream, he would have had an image something like this. And this is as deep as it's going into the bigger picture this morning. But if you like, Jesus had a paradigm which is a very Jewish paradigm of the way in which the world would be. And Jesus believed in the depth of his being that his father was was God himself and that, that if you like, that the history of this world would one day culminate in these two things happening. That is God's heaven, that's the sphere with the H in the middle, that God's heaven, that is not a, necessarily a location up there on the white clouds, but another dimension where God dwells, that that dimension where God dwells would come and take up its residence here on earth. If you asked and you pressed into Jesus, this vision, this dream you have, is it going to have an outworking one day, an end game? And he would say, of course. You see, one day I believe that my Father's heaven where he dwells will come here and dwell here on earth and that, if you like, is eternity. That's a new heavens and and a new earth and you can be part of that. In fact, last week we unpacked this whole mission of Jesus and we said that people matter to God. If you ask Jesus, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you bothering going to the cross? Why are you bothering dying? Why are you bothering with people who are unlike you or who might have a leprosy, who might have different social diseases, who might put you off and make you feel uncomfortable? Why do you hang out with them? He would say at the heart of his vision and mission is, that people matter to God and that one day he had this picture that heaven would come to earth and people would be called to account for what they've believed and how they've lived and that Jesus himself would be that judge. You might say to me this morning, Troy, do you believe that there's a thing called a heaven and a hell and and do you believe that God likes sending people there, like he sends people away from him? Well, let me put it this way. Jesus did talk about a heaven and a hell but if you don't want to spend your time with God in this life, what makes you think that you'd want to spend eternity with him in the next? You see, there's a lot of people who might say, oh, if there is a God, I'll just ignore that and actually get on with my own life. And then I'll kind of make a decision at the, at the end when I see that. Jesus says, no, I actually might be too late for that. In fact, if you've set your life in a trajectory away from God, And you don't want to have a bar to do with him in this life. What makes you think that you'd want to spend eternity with him in the next? And so God doesn't send people. He desperately doesn't want that. But he allows people to have their own choices. And in the end he says, you can have it your own way. You see, at the heart of Jesus' vision is this saving paradigm that he wants people to be in a new heaven and a new earth dwelling with him. If you like, Jesus had this picture of there's earth and that's the, the, the future history of the world, heaven and earth together. So what's your strategy, Jesus, for li- linking the two and bridging the two? I mean, if you want people to move from here to here, what's your design? What's your end game? What's your strategy? That's what I want to unpack this morning in our time together. So you're ready for it? You might be shocked by this next bit because Jesus actually articulated his strategy, his design and this is how it goes. He said this to a group of people hanging out on a hillside. You are the light of the world. Wow, let's just stop there for a moment. You are the light of the world. Now, I know a number of you are sitting here right now going, I knew it, I knew it. I knew I was special to God. (laughs) I knew I was His shining light. He calls me a light, you see. I am the light of the world. So for any of you here who have grand ideas about being that that perfect person that's just going to reflect and just be, you are the light of the world. Let me tell you this, you is not you. You is not you, it's actually you. Does that make sense? When he says you are the light of the world, you doesn't mean you. It means you. You doesn't mean you. It means you, plural. You are the light of the world. He's not talking to me or you individually. Jesus' strategy, if you like, has something to do with people, you, plural. Make sense? So, he goes on and he says this, you, not meaning you, but you, the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is the strategy of Jesus and it involves you. That's not just you, but you plural people. Wow. Is that the first time you've actually heard it? That people are at the centre of God's strategy linking these two dimensions, what is and what could be. Have you ever gone along walking along a street only to notice that someone's left the lights on in their house and the shutters are up? Anyone? Has anyone come across some strange scenes as the lights are on in the house and the people in the house have no idea that everyone can look in? you can come across some quite embarrassing moments along the way about the things that you can see on the inside because it strikes me that the lights are not only to shine and create and push out the darkness in the room of the house, but if you pull the shutters up, it also allows the light to shine out so that other people can actually see in. You see, at the heart of Jesus' strategy, if you like, to link these two things, he said, is you, and that you is supposed to work in a particular way, according to a particular design, according to a particular strategy, so that when people see you youing, they might actually see and illuminate God, the one that you believe in, if you do. You see, his strategy had to, at the very heart of it, involve two aspects of people youing together. And it's these two. The first one is. A right fit. You see, it struck me when I look at those boats that are pulling the oars along and actually sinking in time together and there's power and energy being generated in those boats that they've pretty much worked out the right fit in the right place. And when you've put the right fit in the right place, it's amazing the kind of illumination or generation of power that can be expressed on the water. And Jesus says it's the same with this group of people he calls you that he likens to and he gives another name called the church. You see, the church is made up of people. At the heart of it is people working and living and being together. It's not a building. It's actually the people that actually might house that building and they're supposed to do something. A few weeks ago my wife and I, we run a Bible study where some uh, ladies who are trying to figure out where God fits into the picture and just come in to know who Jesus is and I asked them a trick question. I said, ladies, why do you bother getting up of a morning and coming along on a Sunday morning to church? They looked at me as though, uh, shouldn't you know the answer to this? You, you're the minister, aren't you? You're the leader here. Is this a trick question? One of them thought about it for a moment. She said, actually, I like it. I said, that's, that's nice. And the other lady, she said, actually, it helps me remember. Really? It helps you remember. She said, yeah, it helps me remember in a week that's gone chaotic and crazy that I can actually remember the bigger picture of what I'm here for. I said, let's unpack that for a moment. What, what a four good, give me four good reasons why anyone should swing their feet out of a morning time and actually get up and, and come along to a group of people who they're just getting to know. We came up with these four. The first one was this. I've forgotten. I have no idea what the first one. Actually, I do know. First one is this. It hits a reset button. You see, you can have a crazy chaotic week and you, you come along of the morning time, you swing your legs out, you know, you're lying there and you flip a coin. Should I go this morning or not? Should I hard week or not? You flip a coin and you called heads and it lands on heads and you're like, oh, I've got to go. And then you come along and, and, and the reset button is hit because you encounter God in a way that actually hits a reset for your life. I was forgetting the second reason is that not only that, is that it helps you, it helps you belong and be encouraged along the way. <laughs> you see, uh, what we talked about is that it hits the button of the, of the encouragement. You can come along you've had such a discouraging week and then someone smiles at you and they ask you a question and they actually involve themselves and it kind of encourages you along the way. It hits the encouragement button. A- and then there's the third button, I call it the drift button. You know, the first thing that go in people's spirituality in their lives and connecting with God is if you want to start to drift away in, your, in relationship with God and Jesus, the first thing that goes is regular connection with a group of God followers or Jesus followers. In fact, it helps you, if you like, hit the drift button to arrest you from drifting. And the last one is this. It hits the build button. That when you come along, it's not something that you just uh, get and take away it 's actually something that you you give to others because it helps build other people up, like the boat. If you have the right fit in the right place, it can have a powerful effect. In fact, the Bible picks up on this whole theme about the right fit in, in the book of Ephesians, where Paul, a follower of Jesus, he writes this profoundly about that you strategy that that you being youing. <laughs> People operating together in a particular way. He writes this. Now, these are the gifts. Now, I'm not thinking about a present wrapped up here. I'm thinking about strengths, skills, abilities, spiritual gifts, if you like, that God bestows upon someone when they come to know Jesus, but also their own talents and their abilities that they have naturally. Now, these are the gifts that Jesus Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the ones who start up things, the prophets, the one who, who kind of, just are advocates for right and wrong and they hear what God says in a clear way and they share it with others, the evangelists, those who can share with other people quite simply who Jesus is and the pastors, those who have a caring, shepherding kind of heart and the teachers, those who instruct and help people and their responsibility it says is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Jesus Christ This will continue until we all come to such a unity in faith and knowledge of God's Son that we mature in him, measuring up to the full and complete standard of who Jesus is, the one you say that you might desire to follow. You see, the whole idea of having gifts and strengths and skills is that you would equip and build up other people. So I said to those ladies... I said, the point of actually gathering with other people is that there's this dynamic that happens that is supposed to lift you in a way more towards who God is and a picture and a clarity about what your life is involved with and who you are and where you're heading and how to mature in faith rather than do the opposite. Wow. So I said, when you flip the coin of the morning time and you come along, have you ever been in the situation where you're like, ah, I'm not sure if I want to be here this morning? Wrong side of the bed, you just prefer to... And then someone smiles at you. Yeah, we've had that happen. And they just kind of say hello in an unobtrusive way. Yeah, And then you walk in and, and, and someone else tags you and they kind of give you another smile and they say hi and they call you by name and you think, oh, they remembered me. They didn't really, they just wrote it on the tag and they just remembered. It helps. But they remembered my name without even the... And then when I came in, I grabbed a coffee and, and someone turned to me and said, can I give you mine? And I was like, that's nice. And then you came in and you sat down and someone sang and it's as though all of a sudden the reset button has been hit and you think, wow, God's actually there and I'm recalibrating my ideas and my thoughts around him today. And then along the way what happens is that someone talks and instructs and you think, I learned something new today. And then at the end someone says, if you'd like prayer and someone prayed for me today. And you head out of that place, kind of lifted Kind of more grounded, kind of more clarity in, in point and in vision because everyone knows their fit and they use it for other people's goods. You see, going along isn't just checking in and checking out, it's actually using your strength, your skill, your ability to build. There's all different kinds and they are worked out in this community all the time, every week. I marvel. But the second one that goes hand in hand with it, you might have the right fit. But if you don't have the right attitude, then it counts for little. I remember a man who came to me, I've told you this story before. He said, Troy, he discovered that I was a minister of a church and he said, you are my last chance. (laughs) I said, what do you mean? He said, I've been trying to discover more about God and I've been going along to church. I said, how's it been? He said, it's been dreadful. I said, really, why is that? He said, I went to a place, the first time I went to a place, I went in and everyone was speaking in funny languages. I had no idea what they were saying. He's a Greek guy, so it clearly wasn't Greek. And he said, I had no idea what they were saying. This is a particular gift called the speaking in tongues or different kind of languages, God given. And he said, I had no idea what that was. I said, what did you do? He said, I left. I said, then what did you do? He said, I still wanted to connect with God, so I went to another church. I said, really? I said, how was that church? He said, well, I went into this particular church and I wanted to get to know people and no one would talk to me. I said, really? He said, yeah, at the end when the thing was over, everyone turned in in huddles and started to talk amongst themselves. He said, I was so annoyed about this. I went back week in and week out to just until someone actually would speak to me because I wanted to connect with God. I said, then what did you do? He said, after weeks no one spoke to me so I went to the minister and I told him what was happening and the minister said to me, I know it's a problem we have around here, we should do something about that. But he did nothing. I said, then what did you do? He said, I left in frustration. I said, then, he said, I went to another church and I was doing this thing called an alpha course, discovering about who God is and Jesus and the whole big picture. I said, what happened then? He said, when we got into small groups, they wouldn't listen to any questions I had. They wanted to talk about something completely different to what was of interest to me. I said, then what did you do? He said, I met you. So I'm going to come to your church and this is the last chance. <laughs> I went, wow. You see, the way in which the whole strategy of Jesus is supposed to work is that not only do you have right fit people using their strengths, talents, gifts, abilities to actually build one another up but there's this other thing that's supposed to pump and flow through the boat in order for it to work properly. And it's this thing called love. You see, strip it back from this. what this man was saying. Strip it back, strip it back, strip it back, strip it back at the heart of what God's strategy is, if you like, the ewing. Is when that ewing is infused with Loving. You see, love in a simple definition goes something like this. It's the will to extend yourself for the purpose of building up another person. Love is the will to extend yourself for the purpose of building up another person. Love. Last week I heard a magnificent story. It was hard. I was told about our community meals group. They said, you know, there was, there was someone who came in a wheelchair and they were um, a degenerative disease that was infecting them and, and they came and they communicated to them somehow that, that the person would like to have a meal. And so the people at our community meals were feeding this, this man. They had to hand feed him into his mouth. And, and this man wasn't able to keep his food down so he kept on regurgitating the food but he kept on asking for more. I went, you're kidding me. I said, no. And there was a group of people from our community here that just stood by there and, and, and allowed the food to go down as the food came back up again. Now, if you're thinking about, I'm a visual person, right? But I thought, Wow. Wow. Now, it kind of got a little bit messy metaphorically and literally in in that place after that, but I thought, you know what? The only way someone could do that is if they've bought into love. Love. And so in one of the most famous passages in the Bible, Paul, the same writer, says this, If I could speak in all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and didn't understand all of, understood all of God's secret plans and purposes, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. It strikes me that the language of heaven that Jesus wants people to populate on earth is the language of love because it's the one thing that reaches into a new heavens and a new earth. In fact, you put it this way. Three things will last forever, faith, hope and love and the greatest of these is love. You see, Jesus has a strategy and the strategy involves people. It involves people who decide to take a blank sheet of paper and they say, God, how do you want me to fit? God, how do you want me to love, because if you write your words on my heart and my life, if you pour your love into me, I'm willing for you to use me to be part of what you're on about in your bigger picture. You see, if there's something our world needs, it needs faith to hold to something with conviction in a convictionless world, to hang their hat on hope that there is something better to come but the language that supersedes them all is love. The guys are going to come and they're going to sing a song in a moment. And it strikes me whenever I hear of these words of love, I kind of, I get pumped up, but then I kind of shrug my shoulders too and I go, man, that's hard. Has anyone here said about love, that's hard? See, there's two things that when people gather and they do that ewing together when they know they're fit and they serve and they build into one another and when they demonstrate love practically that the will to give oneself for the purpose of building up another. There's two practices that Jesus' followers do when they're tired of the loving bit that allows them to reach into God's dwelling place and invite him to pour his love back into themselves so they can give it away, that fuel. is prayer, and praise see when we sing songs here it's not just singing songs if you're just checking out Jesus I get that you can just hear the song but there's another dimension to it which when someone sings or their heart joins their vocal cords join with what's being sung it's as though they reach into God's heavens and they invite him by his supernatural power to come and fill their hearts up with love some people have met God in the midst of a song because he's poured out his, his thoughts, his <laughs> love, his dimension to them and they have been astounded. It's, it's caused them to pray in ways and to call out to God and to see him at work like Carolyn was talking about this morning. But it's when you align those two things, the right fit and the right attitude, that you illuminate God. It's like you flick the light switches on so that other people will go, What? You guys didn't know each other a year ago. You're from such different backgrounds, rich and old, poor and young alike. Are you kidding me? Look at you love. Look at you. Build up one another. That's what God's like. Wow. Pete's going to sing a song in a moment. I want to leave you with these two questions for today. Come in here some more Thursday. How's your fit? Strikes me that leadership around here, we need to help people find their fit so they fly and they use it to build up others. How's your love? This morning, the most natural thing, the most human thing you might want to do is Pete sings is to say, God. I'm going to reach out to your heavens and ask you to fill me up afresh with your love so I can pour it out. Because Jesus says, you, you, you are the light of the world.